What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! My name is Jared. We're joined here by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Greg. What's up? What's up? And Austin. Yo. And returning from the dead again is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? What up, film fans? Show me the meaning! <laughs> I didn't let Greg just do it. I had, to, I had to get back and take my old job. I like that combination. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So we're trying out having Ryan join us over the phone. So because he's all on the other side of town. So uh we're gonna see how this works. But welcome back, Ryan. We missed you very much. Man, thanks a lot. So good to be back. Can't wait to talk about this movie <laughs> in, in 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 quotation marks. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So having said that, today we're talking about Venom, the twenty eighteen movie directed by Ruben Fleischer, starring Tom Hardy, Riz Ahmed, and Michelle Williams. As always, let's go around and get some first impressions. I'm pretty interested to hear what you guys think about this. I think my guess is that it's going to be divisive even among the four of us. So let's start with Greg. Greg, what do you think about Venom? You know, um, you guys know me. I'm not the biggest fan of these uh, superhero trash-ass movies that these studios have just been pushing down everybody's throat. Yes. Uh, but I liked Venom. <laughs> I like. Well, you know what it is? You know what it is? I like Tom Hardy. Yeah. I like yeah. Tom Hardy. Uh, he's a good dude. I dig him. Uh, I feel like I would hang out with him yep. and like try to play bass guitar. Um, I like uh, RZA. 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 I like him. He's a great actor. You know, they just had really good actors in this. Um, the movie was a little cheesy, uh, but the actors were, were good, and I, I like how they made us kind of like Venom at the end. Um, you know, growing up as a comic book dude, uh, I never really liked Venom. He was the bad guy. You know, I was supposed to like Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Uh, but I actually dug the movie. I'm a dude. I grew up, I spent my 20s in San Francisco. Mm. So it was kind of like uh, looking at all the places I threw up at when I was uh, <laughs> in my 20s. <laughs> um, but uh, it was good. And I would watch part two, actually. And I don't, look, man, I don't watch these Avengers. I don't watch none of this shit. Mm. You know, only if I have to. Um but I, I actually like Venom. I know people hated it, too, but I actually dug it. It's really interesting. All right, Ryan, what did you think? I thought this movie fucking sucked. <laughs> hard. I hate virtually everything about this movie, and I, and, I, and I feel bad for the director. I feel like he got fucked, like, in, uh, or, like, just... Because I, I like Ruben Flesher a lot, and I think that he uh, uh, makes cool movies, and he, you know, he, he was in this machine of this Sony cinematic universal of Marvel characters, see some or whatever the sea suck. I don't know what it's called, but either way, I, I, I think that this movie is just a total mess. Tom Hardy, I thought sucks. Michelle Williams sucks. The script sucked. The acting sucked. The, it wasn't that fun to watch. The only thing I liked about it was the effects. I thought that the, 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 that the gooey stuff looked pretty cool sometimes. And then every once in a while, Tom Hardy, which would say something that I don't think was like, like supposed to be funny, but it kind of came off as funny. Like it's just like his performance was pretty bad that I was just like, oh, that, that's kind of a weird, I don't know, thing he said or character trait. But yeah, overall, I can't believe this movie made a bazillion dollars. It just doesn't, it boggles the mind that, you know, the, 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 or the uh, Sony makes these other, you know, these shitty comic book movies and then this one just happens to hit. I think it's just because of everyone loves Venom, you know? And so, yeah, I don't get it. I don't know why it was big and I, and it makes me sad. 
I got a question for you, what? Ryan. You said that Ruben Fleischer makes good movies, plural. I would say Ruben Fleischer makes good movie, singular. Zombieland. 30 minutes or less I, in Gangster I, Squad. I, honestly, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, it was probably an over-exaggeration. I, I just love Zombieland. I love to. Me too. And then, uh, <laughs> what was his other movie? Gangster Squad, you're right. In 30 minutes Bubble or less. Blue. I didn't like that No, movie. that movie's I good. That. Yeah, I liked that movie a lot. You know, okay. so so yeah, I would disagree on that. I I really like those two movies, but you're right. He he's not like a, he hasn't really proven himself. But anyway, yeah. But I love. I agree with you. I love Zombieland. So, hmm. yeah. All right. So I was already right. It's divisive. Wow. It's divisive already. Okay, Austin, where are you landing on the spectrum? I mean, that's a perfect segue because I actually I love Zombieland so much. I was kind of curious to see what Ruben Fleischer would do with Venom. And I agree 100% with Mark Kermode's review of this film, who said that the first 30 minutes are boring, the second half, uh, like the middle portion, is just bad, but then the final third, whether it's because it's been bludgeoning you over the head with mediocrity or whatever, it gets kind of crazy and Tom Hardy's kind of awesome, and so I ended, I ended up kind of like forgetting about the first third of the movie and then the middle portion that I didn't like so much, and I kind of came away with it going... Dude, I will watch Tom Hardy do anything. So, <laughs> like, like this. the title of this podcast is Show Me the Meaning, right? And I'm sure I have to force some readings into things. And there are always themes and concepts that you can extract from any piece of art, right? But more than anything, what is the meaning of this movie? It's that Tom Hardy is fucking amazing. That's the meaning of this movie, you know? I would, liter- I would literally watch him in anything. Do any weird accent, play any character. I don't care. We just love him. He's that dude, man. He's uh, he's the uh, I can't even uh, streetcar named Desire. What was the comp- what was the uh, the actor from Streetcar? Oh, uh, Brando. Yeah, he's the he's the Brando of our time, man. Ooh. He's like that big, uh, you know, thick face white dude that <laughs> is kind of like we all kind of like. Yeah, I like this dude. Brothers like him. Like you know, everybody likes this guy. <laughs> and uh, he's I, I like Hardy. <laughs> I like there's him. this there's this amazing interview like that Hardy. he does in the UK where he's like listening to little children call in and talk with him and asking him questions and his responses are just fucking adorable. Like like I just feel like you put him in any situation. He's just a dude, he's charismatic, he's mm-hmm. charming, he's fun, but he's also he's also got like a, a sort of like dudeness about him. Where, like, I love it. Like, people ask him about his sexuality, and he's like, fuck you. Uh, but then at the same time, he yeah. also is very athletic, and so he kind of has that dudishness. So he's, it's like he's a man for the times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's Boy, a, he's... We, we all agree Tom Hardy rocks in virtually <laughs> everything. But that's, that, I'm talking about his performance in Venom. I'd love, I, is I've done insane. it. insane. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm kind of more in the Greg camp. I, well, first of all, I should preface this by saying that. I only saw the movie for the first time recently. I had heard nothing but abysmal reactions. Yes. Like, I was literally walking in thinking, all right, like, this is probably just going to be painful. I'm probably going to be clawing my eyes out or, like, trying to go to sleep through this movie. But I kind of liked watching Tom Hardy. <laughs> and, um, you know, the thing is, there are so many problems with this movie. And there are a lot of just strange things about this movie. Subplots that are forgotten structurally, this movie just is a an enigma it's just like what what were they thinking it seems like it was certainly a script that went through five too many rewrites and ended up being really weird but i don't know it kind of worked and there are things in it that 
don't end up working as well as perhaps they could, but I kind of appreciate the sentiment and appreciate the effort, and it kind of works enough for me. And this is probably a perfect example of just being my expectations were tempered, mm. and I walked away entertained for two hours, and I was happy with that. Yeah. So, Are you looking yeah. forward to a Venom 2? Um, am I looking forward to it? I don't know. I mean, maybe if they fixed some of the things and they were aware of some of the things that didn't go great with it then I'd be like yeah you know I think they got a great lead role and they got some good characters and a good foundation maybe they can you know pull a dark knight and like you know really kill it with the second one I don't know (laughs) or the opposite is is here's what worries me they don't learn anything and they don't want to increase their budget or their effort and they're like fuck it we still were like the fifth highest grossing film of the year so we might as well just do the same and we're still going to make a shitload of money because we got Tom Hardy yeah you're probably right so in that case no then i'm not looking forward to it yeah that part of that it fucking pisses me off you know because i actually have some a personal connection to this movie a little bit because i interned for avi arad the producer who in my mind has taken a beloved character of venom and fucked it up twice for the world you know Mm. spider-man 3 and then this movie you know uh uh so and then, but then he he hit gold with this one. So of course we're gonna get fucking seven more of these you know kind of it. shitty Venom movies. So yeah. Anyway, it still makes me sad. Continue, Jared. All right. Well, let's go into a recap. A spacecraft owned by billionaire Carlton Drake crash lands in Malaysia, where one of the alien specimens on board, known as Symbiotes, escapes, possesses a woman, and starts causing chaos all over town. Meanwhile, rogue journalist Eddie Brock is ordered to interview Drake, but uses information he stole off his fiancée Anne's work computer to ambush Drake in the interview. The stunt gets both he and Anne fired, causing them to break up. Drake prematurely starts human trials in order to find a host that can bond with the symbiotes, which ends up just being him sacrificing the poor and homeless to advance his project. One of Drake's scientists, Dora, finds Brock and asks him to break the story of Drake's human testing. Once inside the lab, Brock accidentally comes into contact with one of the symbiotes and it leaves with him. Drake kills Dora and pursues Eddie and the symbiote known as Venom, who has achieved symbiosis with Eddie. Venom tells Eddie he wants to join the other symbiotes in hijacking a spaceship back to their home planet so they can bring more symbiotes to Earth and take over the planet. The symbiote that landed in Malaysia, known as Riot, possesses Drake and plans to man the spacecraft. Venom decides he likes being a badass on Earth and also likes Eddie, so he decides to stop Riot. Venom slash Eddie battles Riot slash Drake and destroys the rocket moments before it exits the atmosphere, killing Riot and Drake. In the end, Venom and Eddie vow to get Anne back and only eat the heads of bad people. (laughs) End of movie. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morph. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Well... Well, real quick, you got to mention the credit scene because that's kind of important. What's the credit scene? I don't think I saw that. I didn't either. So the credit scene. So the credit scene is that uh, Brock is back being an, a journalist, and he interviews Carnage in prison. Oh, and it's and it's Woody Harrelson, right? Oh, really? Yeah. So and then he says, and he says, like, I'm gonna get out of here, and I'm gonna wreak Carnage. So that's like 
or like I'm gonna I'm gonna cause carnage in the city, and so that's Carnage that's gonna be coming, who was Venom's biggest villain. So that's gonna be obviously they're setting up for the sequel. All right, guys, so there's a lot of things that uh, didn't really go quite right with this film, and there are some things that I think are interesting to talk about. What do you guys want to talk about first? You want to talk about the, the stuff that didn't go quite right, or do you guys want to talk about the cool stuff first? The stuff that did not go quite right. <laughs> All right, okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is the structure of this movie. Did you guys kind of feel like when it was leading up to the final battle, you were just like, oh, we're at the end already? Did it ever kind of hit you like that? Yeah, it absolutely did. And, and and before when you said that it went through five or six rewrites, I think that that's like a, like literally part of movie news. Like it did go through. They didn't have a script when they were finishing this movie, you know, which is always a bad sign. And it totally <laughs> shows because you're right. Like it, it absolutely things start and then they never come back, it seems like. And then and then, yeah, uh, it, it, the, the, the idea that or the, the fact that the whole movie takes place pretty much what? In like a couple nights, it seems like. Yeah. Like. Like yeah, but by I think that that also lends itself to but by the time by the time that you're getting to the big final battle, yeah, it just doesn't seem like enough has happened up to that point. On honestly, for for when it's happening, so yeah, I agree with you. Good. So I actually broke down basically the structure of this movie, and I think I kind of pinpointed why that happens. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and break it down. So the inciting incident to the movie is Eddie Brock gets fired and his relationship ends. Then the second act begins when Venom bonds with Eddie and Drake starts pursuing them. Then the midpoint of the movie is Eddie gets captured and Drake bonds with Riot. Then the beginning of the third act is Venom decides to stop Drake and Riot after he's broken out by Anne. And then the climax is the spaceship explodes and the resolution is Venom and Brock in symbiosis. Now, the where this gets weird, and there's a couple things, but the space between the beginning of the third act and the climax is like non-existent. And it relies heavily on what I think is probably the most ridiculous part of the movie is a seemingly random about face for Venom is when all of a sudden he's like, you know what, Eddie? I'm a loser on my planet. You're a loser, too. I've decided to all of a sudden stop Earth. I don't know. You know, I was watching with my girlfriend and she said, you know what? It reminds me of a bad sci-fi movie. Mm. And I like bad sci-fi movies yeah. sometimes. And that's why, <laughs> that's why this it kind of didn't bother me yeah, that much. That's why this hit. And it was a, it's a pretty movie. I mean, it's San Francisco. Yeah. It's pretty. The The actors are well known. It's like Michelle Williams. I mean, she yeah. can't do bad. Come you know, on. like, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, the plot line is horrible. But, you know, <laughs> it works. So let me give you guys like a, a little bit of a. Uh, comparison about what I'm talking about. Like, so in, let's take the matrix, which I think is like pretty much a perfectly structured script. So at the beginning of the third act of the matrix is when Neo and Trinity realize they need to go back into the matrix to save Morpheus. So Mm. that's when the third act starts. Now between the third act and the climax, they have to gear up, fight their way through the lobby, the roof. There's a whole helicopter sequence in which they save Morpheus and, you know, they're twirling around in the air in helicopters. And after all that, they finally arrive at the climactic battle between Smith and Neo. Whereas in this movie, the midpoint happens when Eddie's captured, then he's rescued relatively easily by a force that isn't the protagonist because Michelle Williams just comes with Venom. And then as soon as the third act starts, Venom says that he likes Earth and Eddie and he doesn't want to destroy it anymore. As soon as the third act starts, we're already we're already at the climactic battle. There's no struggle or progression between the beginning of the third act and the climax. 
Or more simply, the movie just rushes to a conclusion as soon as the second act ends. And uh, that 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 was, to me, kind of the biggest, like, whoa, this movie is really kind of a mess. But, mm. you know, I Do don't you know. Do you think what, there's what, a difficulty inherent in making origin stories that maybe inflicted this film with some problems? Always. Yeah. Yeah. Not so all, so I, that makes me wonder. Not all origin stories struggle with that, but I think maybe this one in which it was an origin story that this is not Venom's real origin story because there is no Venom origin story without Spider-Man. So they probably had to create something new and just make something up, essentially. I mean, but that gives, but, that but gives the writers a, what, what I mean freedom. is just that I feel like it, at this point in movie history, like everyone's kind of got origin story fatigue, you know, especially with with uh, the, the MCU and stuff like like. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's now when, when people say, oh, we're going to have an origin story, you know, for another Spider-Man or something. Everyone's just like, fuck, you know, rolling their eyes. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, I mean, the well, thing is, is because there's no, like, traditional origin story, you would think then that gives the creatives in Hollywood, and there are many of them, some freedom to be able to create, like, a cool origin story. But I think part of the problem is that there's just such, like, a cookie-cutter formulaic process by which so many films are made, especially these films. Like, literally, it's it's kind of like a formula, and then you plug things in. I, I remember I sat down with a producer one time. We were in uh, Los Feliz at – God, not home. What's the name of that really cool fucking cafe that's right on uh, Hillhurst? Um it I is home. Mm-hmm. But we were sitting down there and he was telling me about Guardians of the Galaxy and he's like, watch, I can show you all of the beats. And it was like kind of save the cat, except it was more of a four act structure. It was like this weird take on it, but it was the same sort of thing. It's the save the cat formulaic structure for people who are listening that don't know it. It's uh, it's a really popular script writing book that like it, it jokingly is referred to as kind of like sitting on every script writer's shelf uh, secretly. It's like that and then Sid Field's three act structure stuff, right? But it was literally like at the 10-minute mark, this happens. And on page 17, this happens. And then on page 30, between page 34 and 37, this happens. And and I think part of the problem is, is that screenwriters, they're so kind of like uh, – what's the word? Like they're, they're restricted by that that formulaic structure that it really kind of prevents yeah, I- them from oftentimes making a cool origin story. When they could have. Like there are amazing, talented people there that could do something cool. I just don't know that they – made an interesting one yeah but what i'm arguing is that they didn't even do that they did not adhere to the the formula yeah you don't even think they did at all well yeah because once again the second act ends and the climax initially starts the, the third act is very very thin so if you are to and you're right yeah a lot of hollywood producers do say that x needs to happen on this such and such page and if you were to apply that which i just essentially did with the matrix comparison right. This movie does not achieve that. Yeah, but even the you first third were... in the middle of the movie, I thought, were problematic. Like, they – that was, for me, the worst part of the movie. Is As much as the, the third part didn't have, like, the appropriate transitions according to the formula, it was just fucking interesting and weird and batshit crazy. But even the first parts of the movie didn't set it up well. So that part of the origin story I thought was kind of eh, you know? You don't think they made, like, a, a conscious effort to kind of make the movie corny? Like it, it, it was, it's kind of goofy. It's very totally comic goofy. book yeah. goofy. I, don't, I mean, maybe I gotta be honest. The first time I saw the trailer and I saw Venom, like yeah. the him in the whole suit, I kind of thought it looked silly. Yeah, like a, a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, I think it was a. I feel like that's like such a master. I mean, I almost we're almost giving him too much credit. <laughs> you know, if we're thinking that they did that, it's very goofy. Yeah. Yeah, but Ruben Fleischer. 
if we look at his filmography, he's kind of, except for Gangster Squad, the other two films he did are kind of goofy. Zombieland in 30 seconds or less, or 30 minutes or less, or whatever the fuck Zombieland it's called. Zombieland is definitely um, goofy. And so he kind of has that tone about him in his style, you know? I've actually never I mean, seen Spider-Man any of those movies. I mean, Spider-Man is supposed to be good. super funny, you know? And, I, and I, yeah, I, I agree. I think that, that he was drawn to the material because it's supposed to be, you know, the anti-Spider-Man kind of the smart-alecky uh, villain, anti-hero. And... But yeah, and I also agree with you, Greg, that that it's super goofy, and it feels like it was like made in like the '90s yeah, or something. It feels totally. like not from this era, really. It you know, feels like we're gonna make a movie that the kids will like, the parents will be like, oh, you know, maybe I can see this with my son. It's you know, I can. Everybody can see mm. this movie. You can take a baby to watch this movie, and it'll be fine. It does feel like perhaps I know this is Ryan's favorite director, so I'll try and tread lightly, but it's like a a less. Uh, a, it's like if someone try someone that isn't Sam Raimi tried to make a Sam Raimi era Spider Man movie. That's what I was just gonna. Th- I was yeah, thinking the same I can kind of see that. So I want to talk about. It, it, oh, go ahead. I, I just had I just had one more big point, and that's that that a, a big part of I feel like my disagreements with this movie and or, 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 or what would have made it better is that you know this is supposed to be rated R, right? Yeah. And yeah. V- v- Venom is a fucking brutal character that rips people's heads off. And if, if there was like actual real gore in people's heads actually getting decapitated and lots of blood, you know, I could I, I could see that raising it up an entire letter grade for me. But uh, alas, did not happen. Sorry. Anyway, Jerry. Yeah, well, it's go. almost no, like I'm glad you br- it's almost I'm glad like they you tried to make up. the film so palatable that it just became like this benign, like it doesn't really have an identity. And I think that that's where the yes, criticism exactly. Comes from. It is a lowest common denominator film, and right. for that reason, I feel like still, it would have been cooler with uh, art. It, it's still sold. <laughs> oh, it's, it's sold right. big, big. So I mean, they're just gonna, you know, they're just gonna keep doing it. Uh, get good actors, get a good uh, city, a nice background that people can uh, relate to, and just throw it out. I think. Uh, well, I'm glad you brought that up, the whole R versus PG-13 thing, because I'm actually curious as to how much they had to cut in order to keep that PG-13. And then there's one part in the movie where you know where Brock and the symbiote are – they're separated, and there's that part where he's in the doctor's office, and they're separated through the glass, and like he's looking at the symbiote, and he's like, look at you now. If you look at his mouth – uh, he definitely says "fuck you" to the symbiote, <laughs> but they overdubbed it to where he says, "I'm done with you." No, holy shit, that's an awesome find. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. That is yeah, amazing. You, you got to go back to that. Um, so, like, there are a lot of, and what I'm going to bring up now is an, a lot of kind of lacking qualities or, or things that the movie kind of hinted towards or gestured towards, but I don't think were really fleshed out. And once again, the question comes like. Is the script just lacking, or did they just have to cut so much to make it PG-13? So one of them is, I already kind of mentioned this, but I just want to bring it up again. You know, we're essentially meant to believe that Venom is willing to sacrifice himself for Earth or just because he likes Eddie because there's that whole, like, when he's falling back to Earth and the flames from the spaceship are in going all around him, he says, goodbye, Eddie. Yeah, And, uh... You know, I think that was perhaps supposed to be a more emotional moment than we were taking it for because, you know, oh, wow, Venom's sacrificing himself. But once again, it's literally just a complete 180 for the character. At one point, he wants to have symbiotes take over the Earth. The next time, he literally tells him, I'm a loser on my planet, and uh, I like you now, Eddie, so I'm going to try and save the Earth. I mean, it 
doesn't quite work. But there's also some other subplots that went nowhere. So Eddie and Venom break into his old employer's office to expose Drake. Remember, he has the yeah, phone. Yeah, that yeah. never goes anywhere. You're right, it doesn't. Like, we never see the effects of him taking those photos of the human experiments. And I guess it just doesn't matter because Drake dies anyway. So I found that to be odd. It's not often that these these things go nowhere. And then another thing that seemed to be just left on the table is that, so is Venom the symbiote killing Eddie? Because Dan the doctor, the boyfriend doctor, who seemingly a nice guy. Yeah, I like uh, him. Yeah. Uh, and Michelle Williams' character tell him that it's killing him, and it seems to be a major focus of conflict, but then it's forgotten. Yeah. And then it's kind of hinted at towards the end that I guess Venom will only eat his organs if he's not fed regularly. So I think yeah. they had that last line Said at the end. Said something like kinda... your lung is looking good. Yeah. All right, so another thing that they bring up in the movie that I kind of wished went further with is this idea that Eddie's a loser. You guys know what I'm talking about? So Venom... Yeah, he seems like a fucking cool dude. He has a goddamn successful YouTube show. What the fuck? He's not a loser at all. Nice it... apartment in San Fran. You see that apartment? Well, that was, I think, the the girlfriend was paying for it. That's why it was so nice. But then... The second apartment was nice, too. I thought it was meant to be a shithole. Oh, it was huge. But in San Francisco, I'm sure it's like 6,000 a month. (laughs) Huge. Well, so the whole thing is the inciting incident is that Eddie loses his job and that, you know, he loses his relationship. And so I guess we're meant to believe he's a loser. And I guess I would have liked to see more about how his bonding with Venom makes him less of a loser. Because the thing at the end is when Venom decides not to destroy Earth, he says, I'm a loser like you on my planet. So, you know, our bond is more significant and I want to stay here on Earth where I'm a badass and that we can be powerful together. But is it more that it's because Brock became a loser? Not that he always was a loser because he had a successful show and people talked about how he was like the best investigative journalist and shit like that. So is it is it not that he was always a loser, but that he became a loser? And so Venom and him then found a bond in, in that right, but the, like I said, the, like, like the movie takes place in like a day, so he was fucking awesome and then became a loser. No, no, like, dude, there's a overnight. six months later title card at one point. Oh, okay, I forgot. So, about so that the part. thing You're is, right. is after still, he gets six fired, months later doesn't make you a loser because it's not like a couple of days that Michelle Williams just meets this doctor dude and then moves in with them. It's six months later. Right. Yeah, I forgot about that beginning being <laughs> uh, having a title card. You're right, it, it, but still, still, it doesn't really fucking change anything. You know, uh, he he's not a loser at that point. He's just is out of a job. <laughs> you know, he's out of a job, and plus he he lost his job for you know fighting the good fight. Yeah, but I don't even really get it. It's like he's a YouTube guy that right. works Wait, for a larger YouTube? subsidiary. He... You know, like he he could start his own shit. Wait, why do you think it's YouTube? I thought he was on TV. It looked like YouTube. I'm just saying that it looks like he's like this, like, you know, a citizen journalist, like man on the run. I got a camera. It's just a me camera and my notepad and my investigative sensibilities. Like, you know, they didn't say YouTube, but. Yeah, no, I felt like the tone was off, right? Like they made him seem like this goofy, seedy type of. Um, I'm going to I'm going to ask you the questions that I shouldn't ask and I'm going to investigate the things that nobody does just so that I can get hits on social media. That's how it felt to me in terms of like the aesthetic. But then at the same time, everyone kept saying, like, you're the best. And I was kind of like, well, wait, is he respected or is he not respected? And then Michelle Williams character. What is it? Anne? Annie? Anne? Um, at one point, she says something like, you know, you, like kind of 
intimating that he's always like this, that he kind of has this penchant for being irresponsible and reckless. So I, I felt like there, there was some confusion there, like that, that his character wasn't clearly articulated. I, because I, the way I read it was that he was a rogue badass and he was the only one speaking truth to power and he didn't give a shit, you know, what was expedient for his career. He just wanted to bring down the evil people. Yeah. I guess. That's how I, that's how I saw it. And plus, it can't be YouTube. Nobody on YouTube answers to a guy in a high rise and says, you know, you're that's fired. The, and that's, my, that's what I'm saying is that, is that it, it seems like a, it didn't seem like he had a whole crew with him. It, like, it didn't seem like he had a whole TV crew. It seemed like he's a one man show almost with a camera guy, which just, I, I was just calling, you know, it seems like a, a low budget YouTube kind of DIY kind of outfit. It doesn't, it, but, but yeah, but he works, he works for like fucking, you know. That he wasn't that. But I also agree with Ryan that it made it seem like he was that. Does that make sense? <laughs> sort of. All right. Well, last thing I want to say before we move on, and this kind of transitions to the next point, but the last thing that Riot says to Eddie before he basically kills him or, or almost kills him is he says, you are nothing. And once again, I think that was supposed to be a gut punch as if being nothing was something that Eddie was dealing with. And maybe it was in an earlier. It just seems like kind of an empty gesture that we end up feeling nothing because I don't think that it's really that well drawn out that Eddie is feeling inadequate or that Venom is feeling inadequate or that he really is much of a loser. I guess maybe it's just hard to think of, uh, of, uh, fuck, what's his name? Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy is a loser. a loser. Yeah. Mm. Got a weight bench in his house. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd also like to comment another, this is, uh, like, like even when he was a badass, right. I, 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 I was the, I'm morally conflicted about his job even because to me, I fucking hate people like him in real life that like, you know, like that one guy said, you know, he's a fake news peddler basically sometimes. He doesn't give a fuck about the facts sometimes, you know. He just is like, I, I just I just know this guy's powerful. He seems like he's up to something, you know, and it's just like. Uh, yeah, but that's not know, the yeah, case. Was, he had information. I mean, he got it illegally because he basically went into his girlfriend's computer but it there's no i don't think there's any evidence that he's just making shit up no i know but but it, 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 it's like the way he was portrayed at the beginning it, it, we never saw him like real like if he had already had all these stories and it really kind of i don't i wish we'd seen him break one story before that's like that was a legit thing and then yeah, I know this one's legit, but it, he just seemed like, you know, a fucking yellow journalist at the beginning, like uh, just looking for fucking anything to complain about. Maybe that's just, maybe that's my own personal bias. Well, so, OK, here's why I think you're right, Ryan, but I don't think it comes off well in the movie is basically my next talking point, which is seemingly the thematic backbone of the movie is parasites. And so at the beginning of the movie, uh, Brock, he uses his fiance he uses Anne, and so their relationship is not one that is symbiotic it is one that is parasitic because he uses her gets her fired blah 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 there's also drake he uses the most vulnerable like the poor to test he uh actually builds his whole company off their dead bodies um and there's a line somewhere in the movie where somebody tells eddie he's like yeah you just basically uh like character assassinate people to elevate your career and somebody says that and i don't know am i am i supposed to believe that am i supposed to believe that someone just doesn't like eddie brock or am i supposed to believe that that's what actually what eddie brock does all we have is that montage in the beginning and him walking into what seems like a very important building so i don't know and, and the thing that he's doing in the montage is he's looking at a landfill and saying that the city doesn't care about the people 
and that he's investigating a murderer who dumps bodies in the landfill. And I don't know, whenever I just see somebody who's saying that, hey, guess what? The city doesn't care about this, the the, the victims. How am I supposed to come to the conclusion that? I think they're oh, a good guy, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that maybe maybe he's right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. The thing right. That, that's why I wish we had seen one where, like, he, you know, if like, like that, that, if he had said that thing about the landfill, and then we cut to, oh shit, he really did uncover this crazy conspiracy about the landfill, like, uh, whatever. Um, he was right. Eddie Brock knows. Something that we don't know. Like, I feel like then, all right, this guy's a journalist that knows what he's talking about, but he comes off as just a guy, like, oh my, like looking, you know, a, so, a social justice warrior, basically. You know, like, all right, there, there's a landfill. Somebody's being, being fucked somehow. You know, I, I, that's why I wish we, yeah. We just, I mean, without we context, who knows? I think they're going to do all this in part, too. So another, uh, and this actually, this whole Parasite thing is where I think the movie is actually quite clever and has some pretty promising elements. So the other thing that I really like is how uh, climate change is used as a background for why Drake must find a way for humans to survive in space by seeking symbi- symbiosis with the symbiotes because human beings have been a parasite among the planet. And this is actually, it's actually kind of, I wish I had seen this movie before we made a video that we made about a month ago on villains because our whole thesis was that in 2018 villains are largely addressing real problems but are just doing it in a way that's way too radical and Carlton Drake definitely fits in with that because he's seeing a real problem which is climate change and the planet decaying it's just that he's going about fixing it in probably the worst way ever so there's also another very there are also a lot of like very small examples of that and this is the kind of stuff I love in movies is when even just the smallest detail helps build that thematic backbone. So one of them is Eddie has a dead plant. It's like he even like he doesn't even take care of his plant. The plant, you know, is he's at least he could do is take care of it, but just like his relationship it just ends up wilting and dying. Um there's the gangster who extorts the Asian bodega owner. Yep. Who I guess I, I guess we're meant to believe he's like some sort of mob that requires protection money or something like that. He's a parasite. Obviously, Venom is a parasite, um, and Venom and the other symbiotes initially want to use the Earth like a parasite. And um, then, so there's a part in the movie where I think that if it was f- executed a little bit better or focused on a little bit more, I think that this whole thing about transitioning from Eddie personally being a parasite to somebody who's able to have better relationships, more level relationships, more symbiotic relationships, is that at one point, Venom reminds Eddie to apologize to Anne because he might not get another chance. He helps him be a better person. And I guess he... But I would have loved if Eddie also helped Venom somehow, if he allowed him to be a more sympathetic alien. Because I really think that there's some sort of really great foundation here that's just not executed well. At the end, they sort of did that. You know, he talked to Venom. He's like, no you know more what? killing. You're right. You're you right. Know, no more eating. You got to eat bad people. Only, only. bad people. Yeah. 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 So uh, I, I just didn't feel it. I don't know, Austin. Are you just like, what is this all bullshit? What do you think? <laughs> I, I just think the film tried really hard to be clever. Like, clearly Drake is evil Elon Musk, Right. And uh, and then this idea of symbiosis and colonization of space, but the consequences of that and parasitism like like I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, there's there's something going on there. I just don't really find it that profound. I'm telling you, the meaning of this movie is just that Tom Hardy's fucking cool. All that other shit. 
discard any of it. It doesn't even matter. I, I think I forgot that I was watching a movie and I thought I was just watching like home video of Tom Hardy playing a character doing a funny voice. You know, like you that was think, fine for me. I think that even having this theme like spread out across the characters is more than most superhero movies do. And it's just a shame that it wasn't executed better. Well, There's so, another example. So why do you think Annie, it wasn't executed well? Like, like, well, for a lot of the think... structural reasons I, I said before is because the movie yeah. seems rushed. They're not really putting the attention at the right places. And maybe that's because all the good stuff they had to cut because it was R-rated. I don't know. So here's my, here's my maybe... theory. I think it's partly because whoever put it together was looking at it superficially and doesn't really understand the consequences of um, the tension between parasitism and a symbiotic relationship. Well, see, you, I, don't, I, I dis- you know what I, I mean? I disagree. Well, yeah, I know what you're going for, but I disagree. I think that they're very aware of what happens when you kind of look at the movie in a superficial way. And what happens is it becomes the fifth highest grossing movie of the year. <laughs> you know what sure. I'm saying? Like, like, yeah, he probably said, you know what, even though uh, Eddie's effort to expose Carlton Drake doesn't go anywhere in the movie, we still get to see him scale a building and it's awesome to look at. And then he tries to escape and he like fucks up the whole SWAT team. So you know what? We're going to keep that scene in there and probably take out the scene where the whole symbiotic relationship thing is further developed with Anne or Venom because mm. it's not as much of a visual spectacle. And you know what? For as far as as far as a business decision, it's probably a good decision. Smart, smart guy. Killed it. Smart guy or girl. Yeah, they made money. Greg, Greg, you missed a uh, you, you missed a sad trombone uh, opportunity when when he said Venom was the highest grossing movie of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so another example of this is Anne becomes a public defender. At the end, we find out she's a public defender. She's no longer working for a law firm that defends people like Carlton Drake. And Eddie turns down the opportunity to revive his TV show. And I guess, once again, this goes back to the question where it's like, well, what was his TV show bad? We don't really know. Or at least it's not super explicitly explained. I kind of thought the TV show was supposed to make him good, but maybe I'm missing something. And so he- was a hot venom, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that, it, hot venom. Yeah. So here's my question. So then is the whole theme or the motif, let's say, of the Venom storyline in all of the comics and stuff, and now let's say in all the movies moving forward, is it going to play – is it setting us up that symbiosis is what is best for humanity? And Elon Musk isn't bad, but Drake is bad because he's doing it in a bad way. And being a lawyer isn't bad, but if you're like a public defender, that's okay. And like like, – Doing whatever it is that you're doing in the city in daily life isn't bad, but if you're a criminal, then you're going to get your head eaten. Like, is that the is that what I'm is that the motif here? No, I think I I don't think that it necessarily is going to translate into the next movie. I think basically the message is don't use people. Okay. Right, and then and then true symbiosis is being a public defender or like offering like sound advice to a parasite that's in you that's like hey man like only eat bad people yeah because they're a team you know it's like hey man venom venom you give me advice on my relationship and i give you advice on how not to be a dick i I guess i mean that's corny as fuck first of all but second of all i mean (laughs) i think structurally i have some problems with that but we don't need to get into that now but i just i mean isn't that kind of cheesy oh Oh, definitely yeah (laughs) i think we were going for the cheese but That's look, like looks- every, I mean, you're telling me that the premise of Infinity War isn't cheesy, but it's executed in a really well, it's just executed well. I think you can almost make anything 
with the proper execution, with the how, how something is done, you can make the most ridiculous thing profound. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think that there's anything inherent to the story of Venom that makes it no matter how you portray it, it'll be silly and ridiculous. For sure. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole thing with Parasite uh, is said verbatim by Carlton Drake when he's basically got Eddie tied up. He says, all we do is take, take, take. We've brought the planet to the brink. And then he says, you're a parasite. Didn't you take from the person you love most? So, you know, basically this is the writer uh, basically revealing what he's doing here, which I would have preferred he not do because I like it when it's uh, kind of just subtle and in the background. I don't think it really – it doesn't really add anything when we kind of hit the nail on the head. But, uh, yeah. Let me ask you it's a question there. Uh, kind of yeah. related to this. I yeah. mean with, with it, in terms of like the writer revealing things because I think that they tried to make Drake sympathetic. Remember the bit at the beginning when the, the school kids are in there and there's that one girl that speaks up and, uh, yeah. and and he basically tries to give her a pep talk like don't be afraid to speak out and ask questions. Mm-hmm. I like that moment. It, I, well, because it does. It makes you think – like I didn't realize that he was like going to be the bad guy actually at that point. I kind of was like, oh – I mean I think I had heard that he was the bad guy but I was like this is going to be interesting because – because first of all, I like Riz Ahmed as an actor, so I'm already uh, – his charisma already draws me to him. And then that happens and you're kind of like, oh, OK. But I did find it to be kind of interesting that they were clearly setting this up like like he was the ubermunch, right? Like he was the one who by his sheer strength of will overcame the the, the, the restraints of the material conditions and he built this this like empire and that he's now got this great motivation and so he's going to explore the space. And he wants to pass that motif or that idea onto other children. The problem is, is what happens when that idea gets corrupted. But that in itself isn't problematic to to have that like strength of will, right? Well, I think that what is most overtly going on with him is that he's got a God complex. I mean, he yeah. likens himself to God. He likens the first human test to the story of Abraham and Isaac. He says that God abandoned us, so now it's up to us to do his work. And it's not Abraham's sacrifice, it's Isaac. So basically ennobilizing the homeless guy's sacrifice before he gets killed and uh, basically just thrown away. And, yeah, I also really like there's uh, one line that speaks more to this is when he's looking at why one of his test subjects failed, he says, such poor design, human beings. Yeah. Mm. Which is actually another line that uh, Rick Sanchez does in an episode of Rick and Morty, which I find pretty funny. But, yeah, he has a God complex. Um, but... More to the point of him being a villain that we kind of should identify with uh, at some extent because he is trying to save humanity. So I think it only makes him more interesting that he's somebody who's super supportive to aspiring scientists and, you know, is somebody who thinks that he is helping the world. I think that's what makes the most interesting villains of 2018. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you don't. If you don't vibe with the villain anymore, like if it's just pure white hat, black hat kind of binary, it's very difficult to to sustain a drama this day and age. We like complex. You want to be able to understand where that like uh, uh, like at the end of uh, Avengers, like you're like, yeah, Thanos, I, I kind of get you. Yeah, you're fucked up, but I get you. Right. Like yeah. in Black Panther, you kind of get what Michael B. Jordan is doing. I mean, I actually think that he's actually the hero of the film because he doesn't side with the CIA at the end, but fuck that, we can go into that another time. But but the point is... I'm with you. I'm with you all day. All day. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, is that 
is that you you want to create characters that are complex, um, and you have to anymore. Like we're our, our naivete and our innocence is lost. You know what's a really interesting counterpoint to what you're saying, and, and overall I agree. But did anyone see the new Halloween movie? No, I haven't seen it, but I really oh, want to. I yeah. heard it's really good. It's really good, and they almost address this. Basically, like there are characters in the movie that are trying to like find some sort of complex motivation behind Michael Myers, <laughs> but the movie deliberately does not allow that to happen. Michael Myers is still just pure evil, no nuance, no Killer. complexity. He just kills for no reason. And I found it. Or Jesus. Huh? <laughs> Motherfucker. All right, all right. Sorry about that, but uh, but I really liked it how like the movie was almost saying like yeah yeah we got all these complex villains, but we're not folding to the pressure. Michael Myers is just pure fucking evil. Yeah. Anyway, uh, one of the other things I like about this movie that I thought was kind of fun is I love teasing the bond between the symbiote and Eddie and how they both hate loud music. Like I love the. The annoying neighbor next door who is playing that rocker music and he's just like hates it before he gets the symbiote and then after it he knocks on his door yeah. and gives him quite a face i i i, I honestly if, for me if there's any saving grace of this movie it's like i did like what they were attempting with like making kind of a what would you call it? like a a, rom a love story or like a, a buddy cop kind of a love story, <laughs> uh, bromance, a bromance between a man and himself. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of like that movie Idle Hands from the 90s or or I can't oh, think of any classic. other. Classic, Idle Hands. <laughs> but, yeah, like, like, I, I like that part. Hmm. It made me want to see Tom Hardy as uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like that's what this mm. film – really that's what this film made me want. It made me want more Tom Hardy doing better stuff but like within the same vein. Like I would love to see him do that. I think he could totally pull that off because that's what, what he's doing. What was Tom Hardy's – what was his payday for this movie? Oh, God. Because he doesn't have to do this. He's a really good actor. You know, he didn't have to probably do this movie. Probably so much money. I'm I sure mean, he got Probably the, probably the yeah. most he's ever made. Oh, yeah. Paid. Oh, fuck time. Yeah. Good uh, pick though. I mean, I think this is a good movie for him to do. Yeah, I mean, and the critics didn't like it, but it made a shit ton of money. And at the end of the day, if your movie made money, you're making more movies. And it's a, exactly. it kind of showed him in a, in a goofy, playful type role, yeah. you know. And he's you know what? Exactly, really... Greg. And it's not going to hurt his career. I don't not think at all. even even from the critics, the critics are going to concentrate on Ruben Fleischer. They're going to concentrate yeah. on the script. They're going to concentrate on the rewrites and the production problems. But they're going to say, "But you know what? Tom Hardy is still kind of charming, even if I, even if his bold decisions didn't land for all of the critics. Many of them are saying, listen, this is not a good movie, but still, Tom Hardy's all right. So this isn't yeah. going to affect him at all. It's only except it's kinda, in it, the positive. It's kind of.'" It's fun. It's kind of fun for him. And yeah. I think uh, the kids that watch it are going to be like, oh, that's that dude. And they're yep. going to see him in something else. And they're like, oh, he's really good. He, should, he deserves an Academy Award. <laughs> yep. That's how it works out. You got. You guys remember the marketing for this movie and some of the billboards were saying, like, aren't you tired of, tired of superhero movies? Isn't it time for a villain film? I really wish there was – I don't think Eddie is a villain. He's everything. No. He's like such a hero. Mm-hmm. And maybe this goes to the point more where I wish that we had seen why he was such a piece of shit earlier in the movie. But really, the piece of shit that we see him being is he's no more of a piece of shit than uh, than Iron Man at the beginning of Iron Man 1. You know, I, I just this, this movie does not come off as a villain movie at all. If anything, 
I think you could even argue that Eddie is better than any other superhero because he's actually like fighting the status quo. You know, he's like not a villain at all. He's like, hey, man, there's like fucked up shit going on at this corporation and I'm going to fight the power even though I'm getting fired to do it. I don't know. I just really wish that it was actually an anti-superhero movie like the marketing promise. I think the first three rewrites, he was probably a badass. And then after the second two, the last two, it was done. No, I, I I think they're setting up a, a hero's journey kind of thing. Like like this first one, he's he's good, he's fighting the power, uh, 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 and then the second movie, he's, he's going to become bad venom like in the comics and oh, stuff. Empire Strikes Back, kind of yeah. You know, the only real kind of interesting subversion I found in this movie was something I already alluded to earlier was the new boyfriend. Because usually, like, the new boyfriend character is such a fucking douchebag, and you just love to hate him. Mm. But in this one, the new boyfriend is just, like, a genuinely good guy. Good dude, I love man. it. He was like, I'm going to go inside and you guys talk. And, yeah, like, oh, that's, that's... and he gives him free medical work, yeah. you know? Like, he actually cares about well, and it. Was, yeah. yeah, it was so genuine. I don't even know who that actor is, but I was kind of like, my God, he's so sweet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was a real interesting choice. I, I was just going to say that, that, that I've seen it in other uh, media before. I, I think it's a good uh, character, the, 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 the nice new boyfriend. Like, uh, there's one in, uh, what, like uh, Eastbound and Down. It's really funny. And then also one that sticks out is, is uh, the, dude, the dad in the Santa Claus with Tim Allen is a really nice uh, new boyfriend. And then they become friends at the end, and he gets a weenie whistle. I don't know why that came to my mind. Because <laughs> it's anyway, the holiday season, Ryan. Because it's the holidays. Uh, so the last thing I want to bring up before we get into the mailbag is Stan Lee's cameo. And I feel loved like... Loved it. Loved it. This is the first time that, like, he... It, I mean, usually whenever Stan Lee shows up, it breaks the fourth wall because we're all like, hey, it's Stan Lee. But in this situation, he really breaks the fourth mm-hmm. wall because he says, don't give up on her, either of you. Yeah. Like... In this, usually when we see Stanley, it's like, oh, Stanley's the music teacher. Or, oh, Stanley's a silly guy on a bus, and it's just like Stanley playing another guy. But in this one, I think it's because he somehow knows that Venom is inside of him and knows the situation, we're meant to believe that, oh no, it's just really Stanley. And mm. if the, is this his last cameo before his death, or did I they already? So. But did they re- already uh, film the one for Infinity War Endgame? Mm. They filmed know? like twelve at once. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't. Wow. Yeah, they filmed like like all of the next like four or five phases of Marvel movies. They have like they got every cameo of his at once before because they knew you know shoot it was what like ninety six or something. Oh, okay, so this will not be the last one. Well, if it was going to be the last one, I feel like it's pretty awesome that yeah this he, would be a good one. Yeah, it would be a good one. Hmm. Anyway, let's go into the mailbag. So uh, you guys can hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co or leave us a voicemail at 213-534-8807 or 21elfgut07. <laughs> so let's start off with the voicemails. <laughs> All right, here goes one from Mike. Hey, this is Mike calling in for the Big Lebowski review. Um, I, I noticed that Jared uh, said that um, Donnie's heart attack was caused by the fight with the Nihilists. But in the movie, you notice that um, when Donnie's bowling at the end, he grabs his right arm, and that's a big indicator of a heart attack. And I kind of thought that's a big indicator of how the whole movie is as a whole, that nothing in the movie really is dictated by the dude, the main character. It's always the secondary characters more that are causing the main plot, not the main character. 
And I always found that it was a big motivator and main interest for me in the whole movie. So uh, thanks and keep up the good work. Thank you, Mike. You know, on that same vein, it's interesting how we never see the dude bowl. Mm. We see everyone else bowl, but we never see him bowl. Um, but, yeah I, never I, yeah, I never noticed that either. Um, all right, we're going to play another one. This one is from... Oh, you did Mike already. So this one's from Anonymous. Hey, Wisecrack. I just want to say I love you guys' show. And I had some thoughts on uh, Donnie from The Big Lebowski. The Coen brothers seem to deal with a lot, uh, lot in, a lot in the movies, like A Serious Man. Uh, this idea that without showing your conflict to the world and hiding it and burying it within yourself, you seem to holding and repressing it does more bad than good. All the characters, especially the three main characters, they express conflict and head first into it in different ways. But Donnie seems to be the only one who, when the big fella always bashes on them, just holds it in and turns away and allows it to kind of build up inside of him until finally he just has a heart attack one day when the conflict explodes for no other reason than what it was and i'm so sorry i need to write you guys an email i'll keep trying to call you here <laughs> all right thank you anonymous yeah it's super interesting all right we got one last one from brandon hi uh this is brandon calling from reno nevada and i just listened reno. to the uh, big lebowski episode of show me the meaning um i don't think anybody brought it up but uh i believe the character of walter is pretty heavily based on the filmmaker john milius mm-hmm. yes um, and if you haven't seen it already, there's a great documentary about him just called Milius, about um, sort of his life and his place in film history. And uh, it's pretty cool to, like, watch that and then go back and watch The Big Lebowski and um, just kind of see, like, what a spinning, spinning image of Walter, um, or excuse me, of uh, what a spinning image of John Milius Walter really is. And, um, yeah, it's just... Uh, just a pretty pretty great movie, and um, it's always great to hear people talk about it. Um, keep up the good work. Thanks. Yes, we did not mention that. Uh, we mentioned it briefly in our Villains video that I just mentioned uh, on YouTube. Uh, but, yeah, John Melius, co-writer of Apocalypse Now, guy behind Red Dawn, and uh, he also— Magnum Force. I, I, I fucking love John Milius. Uh, huge fan. Yeah, if, if no one's seen Red Dawn, of course, go see that. And, Check it out. And he also wrote the one, uh, the famous monologue of one of the characters in Jaws. I think I got all this information from the Milius documentary that Brandon's talking about, which is also a great documentary, so you guys should definitely watch it if it's you haven't Netflix. already. At least it was. I don't know if it still is. Um, he also did Conan the, Bar- Conan the Barbarian. First uh, one? It was so good. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He, he wrote them. Wow. Oh, cool. Red Sonia? <laughs> All right, so we are going into the mailbag now. Once again, if you guys want to send us an email, it's at movies at wisecrack.co. So this is from our Discord server, which you can join at wisecrackplus.com. It's from Ra, God of the Sun. He says, quite simply, why does Sony keep making bad movies? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because people are watching them. I mean, but the Fantastic Four was the last one that was real bad and no one watched. Hmm. 
I mean, I think I, I think you're gonna have some misses, but for the hits, for all the superhero movies, the hit outweighs the misses. How much do you think that these people like the, um, like so when Disney owns Marvel, but in the Marvel family, like they have all these people that have been working on the comics for years, working like producing the movies. Whereas I think that Sony might not have access to any of these people. So my guess is that they just have these people who are not as familiar with the source material doing it. And it's probably super disorganized and no one knows what they're doing. That's my guess. I mean, I can only guess. Uh, Well, yeah, like I said at the beginning, like I worked in that machine, you know, I saw how disorganized it is. These people don't really like comics. They just kind of, you know like are have the rights to them and then uh uh they're like and then it's it's just this giant too many cooks in the kitchen thing where they they have all these producers that you know want different scenes from the comics and then the director really doesn't have that much power and whatever they're not uh they, they haven't learned from like uh the mcu which has kevin feig over there who's a really smart creative guy that also that knows how to get the right you know creative people to do what he wants basically or to do what they do in in the con in, you know in the structure that they've all created with these you know comic book people so yeah they, they just don't they just have like it's a super corporate machine over there as opposed to a creative one unfortunately hmm. yeah well unfortunate anyway so our first email this one is from Ketsy Ketsy's calling about or writing about Fight Club she says or he she not sure. Uh, says that the one thing I really wish had been more looked into is the fact that Brad Pitt was cast. Like, I know someone mentioned they hated the scene with the poster and Brad Pitt saying, is this how a man's supposed to look like? But y'all, that's the point. Brad Pitt being cast as Durden is fucking funny. It's purposeful. I don't know. I just feel like it's a very obvious, deliberate irony that wasn't either understood or appreciated. And then Ketsy goes on to link us to uh, his or her favorite review of Fight Club on Letterboxd, which is pretty awesome. Let me read it to you. First watch of Fight Club. It's the best movie ever made. Second watch. Fight Club is a deep commentary on the dangers of consumerism. Third watch. Fight Club is a disgusting cesspool of toxic masculinity, and it's not as deep as the fanboys think. Fourth watch. Fight Club is a critique of toxic masculinity, <laughs> and it's deeper than the fanboys think. Fifth watch. Fight Club is the best satirical gay rom-com ever made. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes on all those. Actually. Yes on all those. That's, oh. I, I love the letterbox thing. Um, but look, as far as this whole thing with Brad Pitt being cast, and this is some sort of fourth wall break where the movie is winking to the fact that, like, oh, this is how we communicate that Tyler Durden is uh, is a hypocrite. I just don't buy it. I don't. Uh, what do you think, Austin? What do you mean, though, that he's that Tyler Durden's a hypocrite? Like that he's unaware like, that he's beautiful? Yeah, or or if, yeah. Like, does Tyler Durden really look at that ad and say, yeah, right, this is how men are supposed to look and not know that that's what he looks like? I, I don't know. It, it seems like it's just a point that was written in the script that Tyler Durden, the character in the book, would say, and it stayed in the script, and it still was something that overall adhered to the overall message that Tyler Durden should represent is that men should not adhere to commercialized messages of manhood. And yet Brad Pitt does adhere to that. But it just kind of seemed like something that, well, we like the we like it in the script and we're not going to write that out for hoping that uh, we're not going to write it out because the audience is going to get too critical of it. And I just don't buy that it's deliberate. I don't. Okay, I don't think we, that it's. I do. I do. 
You do. Yeah. See, uh, I think. Uh, I mean, I agree. I, I agree with this guy. I think that if you if you watch any interviews with David Fincher, he he looks at casting that way. He like he thinks about how people's perception of actors, you know, when he's casting, and he totally was like, who is the most man's man boys boys but like that women like you know love him too it's fucking brad pitt and and he should be tyler durden so i mean i i think but it, i don't think it's as meta as this guy was making out to be but i do think that it that that the casting choice was very deliberate no but what you're saying counters the point the point is is that Tyler Durden looks at an image of a guy in a Calvin Klein ad and says, that guy's not a man's man. That guy's a bitch. And it's just a commercialized image of a man. Whereas, and I'm just, and everyone's pointing out that like, yeah, but that's exactly what Brad Pitt looks like. It would be different if, you know, if it was Tom Hardy looking at an image of that and saying, that's not what men are supposed to look like. That would make more sense. And I don't feel like it's meta to have Brad Pitt say that. And it's supposed to be ironic. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd want to tiptoe around this and, do a couple of things and say, first of all, uh, Tyler Durden is not the pretty boy uh, image that you get in the Calvin Klein ad. Like, yeah, Brad Pitt is beautiful, but nevertheless, Tyler Durden is still a fucking dude. Like, he's a dude's dude. Like, he fights, he wears funky clothes, and he fucks, right? Whereas, like, the guy that's in the Calvin Klein ad is kind of like, ah, he's kind of like greasy and kind of just, he doesn't really have any meat to him. He's not like a dude. So I think that's part of it. But I think the other thing, too, is we have to remember that Tyler Durden is a mental projection of, like, libidinal desire. So he looks like uh, the guy wants to look, fucks like he fucks, fights like he wants to fight, et cetera, et cetera. And the point being is that this is like a projection of his own, like, unconscious, like, looking at this thing. And then I think there's a tension there. I don't think it's like a meta commentary, but I think there's supposed to be a tension there. And again, I think when we think of that through the fact that Tyler Durden isn't just like this, like, it's not David Beckham who is kind of like a little bit wafy. Like, Brad Pitt's still a fucking dude, even though he's beautiful, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think what I think the, the distinctions we're making are pretty subtle, but but yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. All right, this, this last email is from Marvin, and this one is very important. So Marvin says, Hey guys, love the podcast. My question comes from the first time watching The Big Lebowski. So I had recently taken the opportunity to see it for the first time on the big screen at my local theater during their Turner Classic movie showings. Unfortunately, during the movie, there was this guy several rows behind me literally narrating the whole movie line by line. It wasn't overly... Yeah, it wasn't overly loud, but it was every single line of dialogue. Like, not even kidding. Every fucking line. I'm sure he was enjoying himself, but it was annoyingly distracting, so I went out and got the manager, but when confronted, the guy denied everything and went right back to doing it after the manager left, and I wasn't able to get a refund. So I just about... So I left just about more than halfway into the movie. Obviously, I didn't enjoy the movie and wrote it off as stupid until one day it came out on 4K Blu-ray, so I decided to give it another chance, and now I really love it. It is definitely a very quotable movie, but I still think that guy was an asshole for not showing a little common courtesy in the theater. So my question is, have you guys ever had a bad theater experience that affected your perception of a film, and did you like it the second time under better conditions? Sincerely, Marvin. Well, Marvin, thank you so much for sending this email. I actually have... I say this is a very important thing to me. Uh, it basically boils down to shut the fuck up in the theater. Mm-hmm. But uh, I actually went to Lebowski Fest and they showed the movie, of course, at the end of the event. And I could only be there for five minutes because yeah. I mean, can. I know it's Lebowski Fest and I know it's a celebration of people like the movie. But 
I want to enjoy the movie. And like literally, it was like just a sea of people quoting every fucking line. It's certain movies you can't go to like that. You can't go to Big Lebowski. You can't go to any old, like the first three Star Wars. You can't go see those. <laughs> it's, it's movies that people like going to see Grease with like an improv troupe. Like everybody's going to be singing. It's just... You can't go to those and watch. Yeah, them there there are a couple films, them. Rocky Horror Picture Show in the Room. They're oh, meant no. for audience participation, but otherwise, shut the fuck up. Oh, I yeah. agree, but they're not going to do it, guys. Come on, those that's the that's this dude's life. That guy that was quoting everything, he probably dresses like them <laughs> in his everyday life. He gets the haircuts. Can uh, I, that's his life. Dude, this has happened to me a couple times. I'm just going to list a couple of them. But one, I once went to see the movie Real Genius with Val Kilmer <gasps> at a midnight showing at the Vista. And it was exactly like you said, just like theater troupe. Like yeah. all these people were dancing in front of the movie of theater screen, just like <laughs> making loud, crass comments. And to this day, I still haven't seen the movie because I walked out five and minutes you in. You went to the Vista, too. You went smack well, dab in Hollywood. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody's coming out for that. And then one other time, this is actually a more tragic uh, example, but the first time I saw No Country for Old Men, it was in Texas during the winter time. And it was like the first legitimately cold day of winter. And the theater just overcompensated with the heat, and it was boiling in that theater. <laughs> Every, and, 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 like, I love that movie, but Great the first movie. time I watched it, I honestly couldn't think of anything other than it's so fucking hot Sweat in here. Box. So it kind of did ruin the movie for me because so much of that movie is just like, you know, is it grabbing you? Are you just on the edge of your seat? And I couldn't be on the edge of my seat because I was too hot. But, <laughs> but yes, I did like it better the second time. Do you guys have any examples of something like that? Mm. I, I definitely do. Uh, anyone want to go before mine? I, I might are kind of long, <laughs> or not long, but but uh, uh, fuck it, I'll just go in it. So one was at Antichrist, right? So my, my <laughs> general my general feeling on on people talking in movies is yeah, if it's a party movie, it's a, if it's a fucking Friday night in a comedy or something, and everyone's there hanging out with their friends and people are talking, it's like laughing longer than they should at the movie, whatever. But if it's like a drama or something and it's one person talking audibly, I want to kill that person. Okay. (laughs) You know, and so basically um, my two experiences, I'll make them brief, is that one was at Antichrist and the person right next to me was talking to his girlfriend through the first half of the movie. And I fucking loved that movie. uh, And and or I was loving the movie as I was watching it. And at the it was at the Alma Draft House. I told him I, I said, hey, shh. And then he goes, he just was staring at me and he goes, shh like right at me and we're right next to each other mind you. <laughs> and, so I'm like, and I'm like, fuck. So then I, and I'm there with my friends and my girlfriend. And then, so at the Alamo draft house, they have waiters that come by and I put up and they say, if anyone's bothering you, put up a little, write it down on a sheet of paper and then uh, a waiter will come and take care of it. So I wrote this, I start writing this thing like, and I was kind of being obvious about it to the guy. And then he starts writing his own thing. So then we both put up our little pieces of paper explaining that like this person next to us was fucking with us. And the, the waiter came and got our piece of paper and just looked at us one after another. And we're like, what do I do with this? And he, then, then the waiter just left. So I was just left with the guy who kept talking, being a dick. And then at the end of the movie, I just fucking started chewing him out. And he threw his french fries at me. And I threw my french fries at him. And it became a food fight in the movie theater at the end. And our girlfriends were like yelling at us to stop. <laughs> wow. So that was one thing that happened to me. And then the other was at Blade Runner 2 last year. Nice. When, uh, uh, when, when at the very beginning of the, th- of the thing, uh, uh, I could tell this guy was, was, was just 
was just going to talk the whole movie. So I was like, hey, can you be quiet? And he couldn't hear me. Uh, 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 and he couldn't hear me. And then I was like, hey, can you be quiet? Can you be quiet? And the, because the, the, the soundtrack to the movie was getting, you know, really loud, that, that fucking score just goes, Bruh. And so at some point I'm just like, shut up, you know? <laughs> and like then uh, uh, he got, uh, uh, after the movie came, uh, came and stuff, was like, hey, you want to talk to me, man? You want to go outside about it? And I was like, no, I don't want to fight you with Blade Runner 2. So uh, anyway, the, I just, yeah, I want to kill those people. Those one, that one person in the movie that always somehow is behind me, you know? Yeah. Fuck yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got that? two oh, no, I mean, that I aren't, they're not like both bad. One of them was a good experience, and it was, I saw a Scottish film called Filth when I was living in Scotland, and it's the sort of thing where this is the opposite, this is the inverse of it, is if you have an audience that is actually into it and that gets it because it's part of like their cultural ethos, that makes the viewing experience that much better, right? So the audience really does affect the viewing experience for me, but... I know we're running late, but um, I just have like my favorite anecdote ever that's kind of related to this, and I'm sure he won't mind me telling the story, but it's the dude that I do the I Dig This Movie podcast with, Kier. He is a huge, he's a cinephile, he's a filmmaker, and um, so like he fucking loves movies, and he takes the movie viewing experience very seriously, and he was dating uh, his chick who's, he's still with, uh, they've been together for ages now, um, and uh, I, I think it was earlier on in their relationship and, you know, she didn't quite understand his intense passion for film to the extent that it is. And I think she was trying to give him like a hand job or something like that over his pants. And he kind of like kept getting offended and like pushing her hand away. And he was like, hey, I, I kind of want to watch the movie. And I guess she was kind of uh, like, what? Can you like, wait for later? You don't, you don't <laughs> want me to do this? And he's like, well, first of all, it's a hand job. Like, I'm not really interested in that. And second of all, if I pay the movie or if I pay the money to get popcorn and watch a movie, I kind of want to watch the fucking movie. So let's just watch the movie. That's hilarious. Go to matinees, everybody. <laughs> this never happens at matinees. And yeah, it's that's cheaper. True. Yeah. All right, guys. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. So we're taking a two-week break. So we'll see you guys in the new year. It's been a full year. We've been, us been doing this podcast. Let's all give ourselves a pat on the back. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. One year. Show me the meaning. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you in 2019. Until then, peace. Ryan. Goodbye from Culver City, California. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>